You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sam Williamson. I help connect businesses with their tech talent. Today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Esteban Bjarke Patrick to discuss the topic of how to build effective teams. Before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room uh, with some introductions. Esteban, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Hi, guys. My name is Esteban Michalowski. I've been working for 15 years as a software engineer and solution architect. And right now, I'm the CTO of AltaPay, which is a payment service provider company. So I'm responsible for both the technical and the product strategy and also making sure that the teams have an actionable plan on it. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, and Bjarke? Welcome. My name is Bjarke Holm Hobeksen. Come uh, from Carnap uh, Group, and I work as a team lead here for two of our main platform teams. I've been in the programming field since 2004, and uh, recently uh, with a management position for the last seven years. Nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you too. And Patrick. Yeah. Hi guys. My name is Patrick. Uh, I've been a software developer for about 10 years now, uh, and I'm currently working as a CTO, uh, co-founder of a startup called Rebus Finance. Uh, we do software in the financial sector, uh, B2B software mainly. So, um, yeah, and I've done that for about uh, three years now. Fantastic. I'm glad we got to know a bit more about each of you. Uh, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or a statement around how to build effective teams. But today we're going to start slightly differently. I'm going to ask each of you to tell me what you think an effective team looks like uh, and what it is. It would be good to define that before we move on. And then as usual, I'll work around the room, pose your question and the reasons behind it to each of you. We'll then have an opportunity to give your take on that situation. So Esteban, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that uh, normally, I mean, I think effective is consider the uh, capacity of producing a result. So obviously the higher capacity, the more effective the team is. I mean, capacity doesn't necessarily mean that you have more people, right? But the your ability to do work. And I think in that context, uh, an effective team is the one that is able to achieve a desired outcome, which is basically providing value for the business, either directly or indirectly. So an effective team should be able to understand and gather requirements, should be able to raise their hand upon red flags and, you know, find mitigations, should be able to create uh, the features fulfilling the scope, make them available for the users, and ensure that their solution is stable and reliable. But I mean, when it comes to how the team looks like, I think you can approach this from different angles. So you have obviously the structure of the team, you have the operational side of the team, so the tools and methodologies that you use, or you have the traits and maybe characteristics of the dynamics. But I think I would like to talk about the structure because normally this is not so bound to the to the specific company, but it's more about a, a vision that you have on how teams can be built. And for me, the teams needs to be or, or have three things in the structure. So one of them is purpose so that they understand the impact that they're working on and they see the value of their outcome, uh, achieve mastery, meaning that they understand the ins and outs of the system and the domain that they're working with. And they can actually really take a helicopter view and plan ahead. And then that they are autonomous. So they can decide how, when, and what is the work that they're going to do. And they have everything they need in order to take their own decisions. So usually this sounds much more easier than it's really to actually get it done right. And it has a lot of challenges. But in my view, based on my experience, these are the three core things that I see in the structure of very effective teams. But I would really like to hear what 
the rest of the panel things. Excellent, Patrick. How would you follow on from that? Well, uh, I think you have some uh, some very very good points. I'm not sure I'm able to say it in in exactly such a smart way. Uh, but I, uh, when thinking about this question, I kept coming back to to because coming from a very small team of three people, uh, and we're currently expanding basically. But uh, good communication, I think, is like a key factor, and frequent communication. So the fact that you're able to openly discuss and talk within a team is important. Uh, I think it's also extremely important that each person within that team, and uh, you touched a little bit upon this, but that everyone within that team has a, a certain uh, sort of area of expertise that they know, uh, you know, kind of like not having too many uh, shifts in the kitchen or whatever, that everyone should know what are they responsible of and what are they in charge of. Uh, I think uh, that's extremely important and that's a key factor in, in uh, making an effective team, at least. Um, yeah, I don't know if I know. I think that's my, my primary uh, two points, actually. Um, yeah. Okay, excellent. And Bjarke, would you like to round us off there? Yeah, why not? So uh, I really want to take it from a business perspective and say like uh, an effective team is where you measure the effect of the throughput of the team, right? But I really want to take it the opposite way. Um, I am usually not the type of, uh, of manager that lets uh, the business dictate what we do. I really believe that in collaboration and uh, responsibility is the key for, for those teams. If they have a good work environment and they uh, have a purpose, as you also mentioned before, then uh, the team would naturally create their own velocity. I think smaller teams are better. Uh, I've been in uh, both organizations with big teams and small teams. Um, I really think that uh, around four people is the is the best option for for team because everybody has the option to speak up. But really, it's about the as the team being self-organized, self-driven, uh, and empowered from the business to do their own choices. Uh, I truly believe that uh, we should uh, value people over the process and let them decide how they would like to work. I have experienced that less rules often result in uh, in a higher engagement. Um, but of course, uh, as uh, as a business, you also want to set some success criteria uh, and empower them to 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 work from there. Uh, I don't think it's crucial uh, to look at uh, either if if it should be cross-functional teams or or a team, uh, for example, with front enders. Um, I think. Uh, but, but I think a good good uh, mix of uh, of of seniors, mid levels, and juniors, uh, and, uh, and and value these uh, kind of processes where people can, uh, can can align and learn from each other. I think it's a it's, it's nice to have a, a good and clear updated process for for those kind of things, uh, so people know when they break these rules, uh, then it should make sense at least for for the team. So uh, my mantra is kind of if it doesn't make sense, then then don't do it. Love that. And Esteban, you got something to add? Yeah, I also actually wanted to add to what Bjarke was saying about the uh, efficient size of a team, because there is actually a study done by Dunbar, which is the Dunbar number, which basically explains the efficiency or the capacity that you have to actually remember some of the actions and some of the things that people are working on around you. And obviously how much you can remember when you start expanding the number of people. And I agree with you that definitely between four to eight people, depending on the situation, is probably probably the best. And there's one thing that has not been said that maybe I would like to also make, a, because this is this is part of the trace of the team, not so much about the structure, is that there has to be like great leadership within the team to make sure that they, they can mentor people, because otherwise in a self-organized environment, normally people feel empowered to do things that they tend to maybe fail very often or, or encounter situations that are extremely hard to actually resolve and 
that can itself be demotivated if you thought you don't have the right mentorship to guide you through it. Yeah. Excellent. There's some great points there. And I think we've now kind of defined what an effective team is. Um, so let's start with the other questions. We'll, we'll come back round to, to Biyaka. And um, the question he'd like to put forward to, to the other people on the panel is, how do you keep culture and effective teams whilst onboarding or scaling up or even offboarding employees? Biyaka, could I ask you to give you a bit more context to that before we panned over to the other guys? Yeah, hopefully I can manage to do that. Um... We have, uh, I've been in several organizations where we have uh, either had a lot of onboarding through scaling up or uh, or the other way around where we actually needed to scale down. Um, and there's, of course, some so both some culture effectiveness and, uh, and team dynamics, what happens in those kind of areas. I would definitely see that uh, we don't, uh, sh we shouldn't be uh, micromanagement people. We don't, uh, we should not see ourselves as managers. We should see ourselves as uh, leaders, leaders or, or coaches for these kind of people. Um, I think like listening uh, to the people's needs on a on on these one on one basis is, for example, taking in both the uh, the private life and uh, and work life as well, and then from there create some initiatives and and see what problems actually comes up on a on a biweekly basis. I think that would uh, that would at least give an idea on which topics to actually work from. I would definitely ensure that people they uh, they both have the right skill set within a team and they have a purpose and they are properly trained and that could of course go through a, a proper onboarding process. I really think that a good onboarding that could free a lot of time off both for our senior developers but also uh, helping others to set the scene for for this culture that we want to bring and uh, kind of ensure that uh, there there at least is someone in the team that is a culture bringer uh, as I enforce this good collaboration. But uh, I would at least uh, like to, to nudge people in the right direction, uh, but, but still let them as a decide for themselves. So I would definitely say like, uh, be aware as when, when scaling up uh, that you keep the culture uh, and new people are well informed to, to how to embrace that culture. But still, as I said, the boundaries be be open to changes. Uh, and the same goes for, for for scaling down. Um, ensure that you don't create silos, silos, but but embrace these kind of concepts like pair programming, mob programming, peer reviews, uh, alignment meetings, or something in between. Um, I'm not a fan of uh, of meeting, of course, uh, but it should of course make sense. Uh, but I truly believe that if we set a correct vision or strategy and let people talk about, for example, technical dev and changes that they do to, to a platform. If it's across the bigger teams, then uh, that's quite valuable to give. And the same goes for, as when, when, for example, you need to lay off some people uh, or there's, uh, as I said, that the developers, for example, that are actually live there hurt equally uh, and their concerns are, are addressed as well. So you, usually people would understand the business needs and they would accept the changes uh, as well. And uh, you can still carry on with, with the good culture, even though there might be some uncertainty in the firing round. I think that uh, there's always something positive that can come out. And that's easy for me to say as an optimist, but there's always a way to turn the wheel over uh, and then learn from the experience and say, like, what do we do from here? Let's 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 embrace this fail faster process and do something about it. Excellent. Thank you, Bjarke. And Esteban, have you got anything to add uh, to that on, on, on the points? Well, I mean, it's hard. You went... Uh... You, you basically describe all the good practices that you can, you know, introduce. <laughs> but I think one thing that I would like to mention that I actually forgot to mention in the previous one, that uh, like in order to have an effective team, I think you also need an environment of trust so people can actually, you know, make mistakes and, and learn from them. 
and I think that is also key when you're trying to scale up, uh, you know, the, the the organization. I think I will obviously can take a more operational approach and say that, you know, it's important that you assign a mentor and then that mentor maybe that that the person that is being mentored then becomes the mentor for the next person comes into the organization, right? I think the, the developer experience is also very important and now I'm biased towards, you know, technology teams uh, because, I mean, it's important that you have an environment that works out of the box, that you have, you know, the right documentation for the right, you know, structural uh, architecture, that you have guides on how to actually get introduced to the platform. So, for example, in Autopay, we do have, as soon as you join the core team, uh, you have a guide on how to create an integration. So you go through the, the the exercise of actually doing your work, but you're being told by someone in the guide, you know, what are the steps that you need to take. You can run the code, you can then run a test, you see that it works, and then you continue doing that. I think that uh, transparent backlog is also important with clear priorities, so people can actually take the low-hanging fruits and, you know, have some autonomy within the team. And obviously having sensible defaults for the operations like, uh, you know, coding standards, continuous integration, pair programming, code review on and other job practices allows you to, uh, you know, be able to participate with the team and also share the knowledge on the things that are being done. And then obviously, I mean, if, if you are if you are a company that is established, then I think you also need to look at software design and make sure that the software that you're building is easy to maintain. So new people that comes in has a, you know, lower uh, learning curve, like, uh, I don't know, uh, loosely coupled architecture or following different principles like single responsibility, dependence, dependency inversion, or just making the code testable will actually make it much easier for a newcomer to jump in into the code and maintain that. Excellent. Patrick, uh, what can you add to, to Biarca's <laughs> Well, uh, I think uh, most of uh, the stuff had already been said, uh, but I like to say stuff in a very simple way. So uh, just to to have a few points, uh, I think you need a very strong company culture. And I think something that has not been added, I, by the way, I like the, the term uh, a strong culture person. Uh, I think uh, it's important to also talk about other stuff than work with your colleagues if, you know, if you're friends at least uh and i think it's important to do stuff that isn't just work related necessarily at least you know again i'm i'm taking the perspective of my own background here right uh i think it's it's good if you can sort of uh, do events together and stuff like that uh i i've done this in in most of the companies that i've worked in with a uh, great success and i think it it also creates that uh sort of uh, you know you wanting to to uh, be part of that team uh, and if you have that, I think to keep it to the point, if you have that sort of strong culture built in within the company, I think it's also easier to uh, onboard people, uh, you know, in the future. Um, and also one more point that I don't think have been mentioned, but uh, it's also important to, you, you kind of mentioned it with the um, mentor, but it's important to have someone that feels responsible for the team. So someone who's inclusive and also make sure that if you onboard new people to the team, that they uh, include the people in in conversations and uh stuff like that because if that doesn't happen and if it's not something that is talked about within that team then people can really feel like they are the new guy uh and that that can just be a big demotivator from the very beginning uh so someone needs to have that sort of responsibility 
of creating a good culture. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Patrick. Bjorka, have you got anything to add on the back of Esteban and Patrick's answers there? Not other than uh, I think we are already, uh, everybody here is in the same boat. I truly believe as well that trust is key for these kind of things. I, I value the same with the clear processes, good startup task, uh, probably as a mentorship or other uh, other things that people could do. I like the thing about picking the low hanging fruit and have a low learning curve. Uh, we don't want to create uh, single points of context or other things. So these uh, kind of fail faster uh, experiments include people in the process and ensure that good co communication happens early as well. And then uh, I would definitely say that people should uh, decide the technical depth and be and have the responsibility as well to bring their, for example, their own tickets to 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 a sprint. So empowering these people to 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 take that responsibility uh, that also helps a, a little bit on 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 my level as we, at least if I can delegate some work. Uh, on the terms of the strong company culture, um, I think that's a nice uh, addition to this talk. Uh, but I still think that the cult, the most important culture, should come from the team. But of course, the the company should embrace those kind of culture. Uh, the best companies that I've been in has also been with friends as a where we did team building. And I uh, often see people from uh, from my uh, former jobs as well because we we eventually ended up being friends. So, so I, I think that is a very nice touch on, on this uh, topic. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with those answers. Excellent, let's, let's take a, another turn then. Uh, Esteban uh, posed this, this question to, to the panel and how do you objectively measure the team's effectiveness and ensure you are indeed progressing? Esteban, could you give us some context to, to that question, please? Yeah, I think obviously we all have a sense of whether we are doing a good job or not. Sometimes it's harder to say, sometimes it's easier to say. But I think if you were to try to objectively try uh, understand, are we progressing? Are we becoming more effective? How would you do that? Fantastic. Patrick, we'll start with you this time. Yeah, so uh, I tend to kind of zoom out a little bit in these questions. Uh, if I talk about it from a, a, a strictly a, a tech industry perspective, then something like uh, Scrum or, you know, some kind of approach is a classic. But I would really say, like, uh, go back to the boards that you have been, uh, you know, solving tickets on earlier and then just have a look and see how much you set up kind of as a joke but uh, i think that you can objectively measure you know your progress uh, it can also be you know difficult if you take a perspective from a non-technical or not so uh, strict factory working like process like if you do political work for instance uh, where you have to do reports i'm just zooming out a little bit here but um, you know stuff where you can't really rely on on measuring you know where you don't necessarily know what your job is going to be at the start of the week and and you can't necessarily measure where you're going to end up uh, by the end of the week but you know from a tech perspective i think that uh, you know coming up with some kind of uh, system to to count your points or whatever it it, it works fine for me at least uh, I, th I think that's a good approach to something like scrum uh, and and sort of this agile approach um, yeah, I don't know if. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, pretty much. Sure. And Bjarke? Yeah, that's. I think there's a lot of way to measure team effectiveness, uh, but the question is also what is as a what is it that we actually want to measure? Is it the is it again is it the throughput 
for how much work people actually do is the amount of lines of code, again, seen from a, a tech perspective. But there is, of course, tools around those kind of things. Uh, I am really in favor also of the agile approaches, uh, having these retrospectives where you embrace this fail faster principle about uh, talking about the failures, not pointing fingers, and then learn from those experience, having a couple of action points for the upcoming week or, or the next two weeks within a given sprint, for example. Um, but of course, there could also be a way of structuring these kind of things. And now I'm again talking from a software perspective, but for example, uh, there, there's the OKRs, like objective and key results, for example, there's tools like uh, KPIs. Uh, but of course, those should be used with caution. Uh, I still believe that uh, we should value people over processes, but uh, but I do like processes. So so people actually have uh, a starting point for how to work, and then they can can figure that out themselves. I would definitely not go in and begin to measure throughput uh, because in my eyes that would be seen kind of like micromanagement. But but again, uh, coming back to the agile approach, uh, letting pe people talk about what was good, what was bad, and what what do we need to change from the next uh, the next time. Uh, and the same for, for for a management position like a team leader. I, I use my one on ones to get all these kind of inputs uh, as well and form career plans for people. Uh, it's quite easy to, to figure out where people are and how the teams are working when you have people on a one-to-one on a -one basis because they tend to tell, tell a little bit more about what happens if you, are, you only have those four eyes and not writing any notes down and say that everything that we, that we do within this forum is, uh, is between us. Uh, but that gives at least some ideas on, on which action to, to, to take afterwards. But, uh, but definitely, again, back to, uh, to the teams, like they, they should have a responsibility as well in improving those kind of processes. Uh, processes. So yeah, talk about the good uh, and, and the bad and learn from, from these failures uh, and then embrace this uh, fail faster mentality. That's excellent. And Esteban, would you like to kind of bounce off what Patrick and, and Bianca have said? Yeah, I think uh, I agree uh, with you, back. I think uh, obviously it depends on the success criteria of the organization. And I think that sometimes, you know, the success criteria of the organization might be flawed. So you might have an effective team, even though we were not able to deliver everything that was agreed with the organization, just because maybe the target was too high or was the wrong target and we realized that we needed to do something else. I think that there is some, some ways to, to to measure this. So for example, if you look at how much you commit and how much you are able to deliver, that means that the team is becoming more predictable, more mature, and they are able to understand much better what they can do. But there's something that I've been experimenting with and probably I'm going to cause some controversy. So I really like to hear what the rest of the panel thinks, but there is this uh, Google key for metrics for understanding operations. It's mostly for, for DevOps. But more or less, you have some metrics about how fast you can deploy, uh, how long it takes for you to create changes, you know, how long it takes for you to restore the service, and your failure rate. And I think that even though this is operational, this definitely shows how mature a team is. And in my experience, following these metrics for the last six months with some of the teams that we have in the organization, I can see a correlation between the maturity and their uh, their their good metrics, and therefore maybe the effectiveness on the team, because I think that if you're able to deliver fast and, and deploy frequently, that means that you can get feedback very quickly about the things that you're doing. And if you are able to have a low failure rate, that means that you have you know good controls. The team is doing very nice, a very well code review and be able to catch some of the issues before they actually land into the production environment. Excellent, Patrick, you've mm -hmm. got something to add to that? Uh, yeah, well, more of a question really, because uh, since we're talking 
talking about how to, uh, you know, uh, objectively uh, measure the team. Uh, I'm curious, what what uh, do you put into the the term uh, failure rate? Like, how do you measure failure rate, and, and what is it exactly? Yeah, so I think uh, uh, the the way that Google intend this is slightly different. But what we have done is we measure how many deployments and how many bugs do we have on a period of time. And then we divide the number of bugs by the number of deployments. Now, this this measurement is not accurate. It doesn't really tell you the real failure rate. But what you should see along the way, along the time, is that this measure starts to go down. So if you see that this measure starts to go down, then that means that the failure rate is definitely getting better one way or the other. And I think that's what I can see in some of the teams. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. But it's not it's not the only one, right? I mean, I think it has to be no, no. some of things that you need to take into account before you can really say this team is being effective. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Has anybody else got any thoughts on the the Google key metrics that Esteban's bringing up there? I haven't actually haven't heard about it, but I'm uh, very intrigued right now about a DevOps approach to these measurements. Uh, I talked about the OKRs before. I'm pretty sure those are from Google as well. But uh, I think uh, I think the summary from that is like if you want to measure effectiveness, then it needs to be measurable, right? Uh, either it's time or it's not a number, like number of tickets or or something like that. Uh, time to market or time to have the service up and running again. Uh, I haven't thought about the the DevOps practice and incorporate that. Uh, I think that's quite uh, interesting. Uh, but of course, it takes time to to form a, some sort of data set. If it's, it could be anything, right? It could be story point from 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 a ticket or, or something like that. But, uh, but but you should really, yeah, I really believe that we should see this as a, as an iteration, right? People uh, and teams would be more and more effective if you at least have a data set to to show them. Yeah, and that's one of the things I wanted to say actually is that the real challenge here is to have the data so you can do this analysis. And there's so many things that you can actually analyze and there's so many ways that you can look at it. So it's it's really hard to actually have a place where you can put all the data, do the queries that you want to do, experiment, see you know how this reflects the reality of the team and then understand, oh, okay, there's a correlation here. It's, it's, it's quite a challenge. Yeah. Excellent guys. Well, Esteban, thank you for that fantastic question. Uh, on to Patrick next. Uh, he wanted to pose to the panel, what keeps the team motivated to show up I know Patrick's got a bit of context to add to this. Yeah, well, so uh, this was just kind of the first question that popped into my mind when you asked. Uh, the reason that I'm asking is basically that, again, coming from a sort of a very small scale entrepreneurial background where you can't always provide people with, uh, with the best salary or the most mature company either. Uh, it's interesting for me to hear what, you know, what is it that keeps people showing up? What is it that keeps the team spirit alive and what keeps sort of uh yeah the team going uh so that's basically I, I thought it was a curious question because i i can see that we're all coming from very different uh, backgrounds and you know different companies of course uh yeah uh, so basically i wanted to hear your uh, opinion about this awesome biaka will come to you first yeah I uh, I must admit I have not worked in a startup company, but of course I've uh, been through a lot of people that have been uh, companies as well. And it seems like the spoken norm for for startup companies is uh, high empowerment, of course, but also a very high responsibility. Sometimes lack of process, uh, and because you're few people, then uh, I would expect that it would be some uh, some sp uh, single points of contact, and definitely that would also be a problem, like if people were uh, were leaving. On the other side, like uh, time is money, right? And uh, with fewer people, then of course there will be fewer 
meetings as well. And uh, and uh, you don't need to have all these kind of alignment things. But uh, I would definitely say that uh, that in some some uh, in some way we should set the scene as an employer, right? Uh, so I like I like the concept about we work 37 hours in Denmark, uh, and we should empower people to work those roughly 37 hours and let them decide when they actually want to put those hours in. If they want to have a Monday off and put in some uh, time in the weekend or next week, or if they, for example, um, have a better uh, workflow in the middle of the night and meet in late, I think we should kind of embrace those kind of things. I think uh, that's a part of the company culture as well. Of course, there should still be uh, some deliveries. Uh, so so as a company, we should ensure those delivery on time. And there's some sense of urgency, right? Uh, we can't do everything right the right way. But uh, keeping the scope uh, a little bit as a minimal may be good at doing these uh, MVPs and then value a good work-life experience, uh, especially in the market right now. And definitely, I know uh, as a startup company, there might not be either funding or a whole lot of money but uh, as a, have, a, have some sort of budget uh, ready to, to buy a Friday beer or, or do other minor perks like uh, having a game night we talked about before that people uh, also need to be friends. And definitely the, the, the reason for me to stay uh, at CDC where I was before and at Karna right now, I, I'm primarily here for, for the people. Uh, I see a lot of people uh, as well uh, privately. We have game nights and we go out for team building and dinners. And it doesn't need to be uh, company paid. It is at Carnot, but it doesn't need to be. But uh, as I include em- employer, uh, uh, they, they include the, the, the people that are working for the company and uh, open up for, for, for them also to introduce them to their own family and friends, uh, have an, an open office for people to also use privately. Let's say they want to have a uh, Magic the Gathering game night where how you know that I'm playing uh, Magic the Gathering as well. But definitely, I think the, the primary thing is uh, that we shouldn't force people to overwork themselves because they will be burned out and they would create more errors that needs to be fixed later. So I truly believe, actually, that less work would be more effective for the teams because if they have a rested mind, then they are a, a lot better to solve those kind of problems that would come up on a daily basis. So uh, we, we need to remember that they, they they don't own the company. They can't put in the same engagement at the same amount of hours as, as, as a co-founder would do. So yeah, summary is uh, yeah, we still need to think about uh, the good work-life balance uh, and people need to feel that they are contributing. The, then you need to celebrate the successes as well. For example, let's say you do a, a new feature or something like that. In, in, involve people within those kind of uh, celebrations. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. It's an interesting yeah. point made you, you there about the, the less work equals more effective. It seems to be there that there, there's trend with four-day working weeks and people try, starting to try that. And that, that must be just stemming from, from them points you made there. <laughs> okay. Right. Sorry, yeah. Patrick, you got something to add? Yeah, just uh, I think that's a really great point as well. And I've actually seen that works several times. Oh, Patrick, uh, I, th- I think your connection's. Uh, uh, oh, no. Hi, Patrick. I think your connection bugged out there. Yeah, you're back. You're back. Yes. I'm, b- I'm back. Okay. I'll try to turn off the camera and see if that works a little bit. Uh, I just wanted to say that I think it's a really, really good point. And I've, I've actually seen it work several times that, uh, that uh, you know, less work equals more effectiveness uh, and i think it talks into creating a, an effective culture also comes from creating a healthy work culture basically where people can feel good uh, and and want to be there and they shouldn't be squeezed for every 
every uh, last waking hour that they have. I think, uh, and this is also again uh, coming from. Uh, I, I know I say that a lot, but there's just uh, there's pretty, I would say, sick culture when it comes to uh, entrepreneurship, and I think it it also tends to spill over into uh, sort of the enterprise culture that you should overwork yourself. Uh, I think that's an important thing to to uh, you know make sure that stops sooner than later. So uh, yeah, really good point. Excellent, thanks for that, Patrick. Esteban, um, your answer to Patrick's question. Yeah. So first, I want to say that we do play a little Magic: The Gathering at Altape as well. So maybe we should uh, plan a draft between the two companies at some point <laughs> later on. But I, I, I agree nice. with you. Yeah, I agree with you, Bjarke. I think uh, you know. Uh, I have I have to admit that I also have stayed maybe too long in a company just because of the people that I have around. So I think that 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 uh, relationship that, that you build, besides the environment that you have around you, is really really important. So make sure that you nurture the relationships within the within the teams and make sure that they are happy with that. Now, obviously, motivation is very individual, right? So if I have to think about a framework to motivate people, I think is very much about understanding, you know, who they are, what they're looking for, and then make sure that they can grow in that direction. So for some people is leadership, for some people is architecture, for some people is organization of the work. You know, there is. And there's different aspirations and challenges. I think people want to feel that they are progressing all the time, that they're learning something new, that they're moving in, in a specific direction. So I think it's very important for us as managers to make sure that we understand what that direction is and make sure that it materializes and at the same time provides value for the organization, right? Because at the end of the day, we need to we need to make money as well as a company. Yeah. Excellent. Patrick, have you got anything to add to that? Or Bjarke? You... No, uh, it's fine. Uh, you can go to Bjarke. I think, I think there was something uh, very nice in, 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 in what you said there before. Uh, if we're talking about the competences and the skills of people, I know we mentioned the career plan before, but I think a lot of companies, they are often seeing uh, as a, a career, as a linear process where you need to go up and from junior to mid-level to senior and then maybe to a team lead or a tech lead uh, now talking from a programming perspective or a tech perspective but maybe maybe a career is, is is different than that right maybe uh, maybe there's more to to it than this linear process uh, we can have uh, experts and specialists for example isn't it okay to to not rise in rank and then uh, be a specialist in, in devops or some other area uh, or probably uh, be more broader uh, and go out and learn a lot of new stuff do more uh, experimental and, and focus on, on the innovation there was a there was at least an, an, a nice touch yeah yeah i i have a comment about that because i think and this is just a very biased view on what's going on but i think that maybe 30 years ago in a in a different generation a career was something that you aspire and a career basically was that that ladder that you described where you need to keep climbing and going in that direction right that is the definition of success and i think nowadays in our generation or even the newer generations that pressure of having a career is not so important it's more about you know having an impact following your passion and stuff like that and i think because of that people are actually looking for different things and not necessarily just a promotion or, or having a, a different title yeah. yeah, yeah, that is that is correct, right? I'm oh, sorry, Patrick. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, I forgot to use the emoji. <laughs> uh, no, I just uh, want to say that that's a really good point, and I also think that uh, we have a lot more opportunities uh, in in uh, you know our generation, uh, a lot of uh, a lot more information basically as to how to uh, navigate in a career, for instance, and you know moving to a different company or moving in a different direction is not necessarily a step down, but just a step in a different direction. Uh, yeah, just wanted to add that. 
think that's an interesting topic, right? Uh, because there has been a change. Some of the people that are, are not from the tech company here in Canada, but they have been here for 20, 30, and 40 years, right? They have grown their career in this company, if you could say so, but we don't do that anymore, right? We, we are, as the people now, as, as a fast dopamine generation, right? You're used to, to fast changes and people, I don't think people actually want to grow a career they want to have personal growth and they want to develop themselves in a good environment. Uh, that's that's a very interesting topic. Yeah, uh, I agree. And also, uh, I just thought of a word that I don't think have been said enough in uh, in regards of this, and that's uh, curiosity. Because I think curiosity can also really uh, drive a team forward. And, you know, uh, yeah, uh, build and affect the team, basically. And I think this is also school if it's true if you look at it, basically, which a career can also be. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to mention that as well. Uh, curiosity, very important. Definitely. Has anybody else got anything to add to, to the points that we made or any conclusion around um, building effective teams? Well, there's at least a, a big difference for how you see an effective team, right? Uh, I learned that today. I've been very focused on the, on the people level and the people's skills and how to empower people. But there's, of course, also the, the, the business side. And maybe I tend to forget uh, one of those sides occasionally. Yeah, and uh, I think I've, I've tried to take as broad a perspective as I possibly can, as a general perspective as I possibly can. Because basically, uh, I'm currently personally in the process of building a new team from scratch and building a new culture. So I think, and I also, uh, you know, went into this with the hope to learn a lot. Because I think you guys are definitely uh, more experienced and and uh, know a lot more about this uh, than I do. So, uh, I, and I think I did learn a lot. So, uh, first of all, thank you for that. Uh, and a very, very interesting uh, uh, conversation, I think, that we could continue for many hours, by the way, if we want yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. This is a very open-ended topic that, uh, and it also it also changes from organization to organization, right? So, there's no one formula that you can use that will work everywhere, so. Yeah. Excellent, guys. Yeah, well, thank you so much for today. and. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Bjarke, Esteban and Patrick for providing their insights into this topic and, and thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.